Well, if you didn't hear my prayer, I just prayed for you all. Okay, here we go. All right. Hey, last week, we, uh, we got into the message on the Bible. It was a study on the Bible. If you were not here, we, look, we, we did a message on how you can believe that the Bible is not only believable, but the Bible is more than just a book, how the Bible really is the Word of God. And how you can answer critics who would attack the Bible and everything that we read when we open it up and we look at it. We looked at how it really is God's Word, and we looked at how it is God's Word and how it applies to our life. And the reason why we looked at the, the Bible last week was to build up to the message of today. Uh, this is a message I've done, oh, a few times with the youth throughout all these years. Um, every year around Easter, we would always do a thing called God on Trial, and we called it God on trial because what we did, we, we investigated the evidence and the claims that surrounds that event known as the resurrection. It's an event where many a times people would bring their, or the youth would bring their, their friends over the years. It was always a fun time. It was a time of questions and answers. And throughout all the years, we've also seen a number of students come who accepted Christ out of it. Uh, the one thing that has always intrigued me when I became a Christian when I was 19 years old was <clears throat> just how much evidence, factual evidence there is out there that surrounds this thing that we call the resurrection of Christ. Now, when I was uh, in the discovery zone of the summer in which I was saved and trying to figure out what it all means, church and Jesus and uh, religions and and as I'm trying to put it all together and make sense of it I I had no clue <clears throat> I had no idea of knowing just how much stuff there is out there that's very self-evident but you don't think about it until you hear it and as I grew in my Christian faith the one thing I loved was how to prepare for the tough questions and to have answers. I mean, absence, uh, answers with, with like meat on the bone. Something you can really tell others when your faith is being challenged. Do you know that when you think about Christianity, every single religion of the world or philosophy given to describe the meaning of life <clears throat> is, not sur is not founded on a person. It is surrounding... a philosophical concept or an ideology there's it's not on a person in christianity christianity is the only religion in the world that is founded on a person and it's this person by the name of jesus christ if you remove jesus christ from christianity you have nothing it completely falls in on itself christianity is the only religion that is founded on a person. And next week, we're going to enter into um, an Easter celebration weekend. And to the Christian, this is our, this is our, this is our day. Because we know why we go to church. We know in whom we believe in. And we know uh, the person that we have trusted for our faith. And we know the one who's going to get us to heaven someday. Amen? Amen. We know that. 
But a lot of your friends don't know that. And maybe you might be here today and you've been working through it and you just don't know. How can you know? Well, you can take every single thing that we read about Jesus in the Bible and you can kind of put it on a shelf for this remaining time that we have. We're going to look at one thing today and we're going to fly through a ton of stuff so we can get out at an appropriate time to eat lunch. Okay? I promise. All right? So we're going to fly. Here's the one thing you don't have to worry about. Don't have to worry about taking notes. All right? You don't have... I got all your notes up here on the stage. Everything... Majority of everything you're going to see, it's on these papers on the floor. If you want a copy, come up and uh, grab you one at the end of the uh, service today. So for right now, we're going to take a look on how the resurrection is fact or fiction. Obviously, we know it's a fact. There we go. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul was writing to the uh, believers in Corinth, and he said this. He asked this question, or he raised the question. He said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Now, isn't that true? Think about it. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, it doesn't matter what you want to think about him, it isn't going to get you where you want to go. He's just another fake, another false prophet, another religious teacher, another heretic. That's all he is. Because Jesus himself discussed how he would rise on the third day. So Paul is telling the church, you know something? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you you have no hope. Every single thing that you believe in is pointless, it's worthless, it's garbage. Go back to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're all just going to die anyway. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Now, Eric, I'm going to let you take over. There we go. This just ain't working. All right. The Bible says without the resurrection, the good news is no news at all. You know, someone once said, Christianity is not a religion. Religion may be defined as humans trying to work their way to God through good works. Christianity, on the other hand, is God coming to men and women through Jesus Christ, offering them a relationship with himself. Is that not true? We know that is true. Let's take a look at the Bible. We're not going to spend much time on this because this is what we did last week. When you look at the manuscript authority, that is the stuff that we read inside the Bible. What makes the Bible believable? This next slide, we won't spend much time on it because we did that last week. Last week, you can hear all messages online if you want. Uh, It's good to scare the cats away from your house. If you have it blaring outside, it works in any way that you want it to work. But there's a lot of information last week's message that is worth listening to last week. And it's on the Bible. We looked at all the, I think there's 10,633 existing manuscripts today that we have of the Bible what was written now why is that important that is important 
Because there are those who will say, well, how can you believe in a Bible that's just changed over all these years? Their argument is, what we have right now today, this is not how it was written yesterday or the year before or the year before and going back. Well, we know that's just not true. In fact, the gospel narrative has many of the letters being written while uh, the early church, the majority of the early church was still alive. It wasn't written a long time after the fact. And we're going to look at that because that's an argument that's used against the resurrection. we see that in a few minutes. What we have today, oh, 24,633 manuscripts of the New Testament alone today. What you read when you read your Bible is exactly what was written when it was written. The manuscript authority. Now, there are two principles to consider when you're going to look at the resurrection. Two points. Just keep these in the back of your mind. The first one, consider all the facts. All the facts. And looking at the evidence, J. N. D. Anderson, he's the head of the Institute of Advanced Legal Studies in the University of London, he emphasized that a point which needs stressing is that the evidence must be considered as a whole. So take it all in when you make your, your decision on what you believe. And then the second point is this. Have no preconceived conclusions. In other words, let the evidence speak for itself. Uh, we should let the evidence speak for itself. Historian Philip Schaff stated, quote, The purpose of the historian is not to construct a history from preconceived notions and then to adjust it to his own liking, but to reproduce it from the best evidence and let it speak for itself. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, the Archbishop A.M. Ramsey of Canterbury said this. He said, quote, I believe in the resurrection partly because a series of facts are unaccountable without it. Interesting. How about uh, John Montgomery, Simon Greenleaf School of Law? He said this, It passes the bounds of credibility that the early Christians could have maintained such a tale as if, if this was all fake, if none of this was true that the early Christians could have maintained such a tale and then preached it among those who might easily have refuted it simply by producing the body of Jesus. In other words, if it was fake, there were plenty of people to prove otherwise. The resurrection could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concern. Paul Athos. Well, Durant, a historian, made this comment. That a few simple men should in one generation have invented so powerful and appealing a, a, a personality, so lofty an ethic, and so inspiring a vision of human brotherhood would be a miracle far more incredible than anything recorded in the Gospels. Okay? We're going to look at the security precautions. Now, what we're going to look at right here, this is what you're going to see in your Bible, and it's what I see in my Bible. There were a lot of security precautions that were taken 
in order to guarantee that this person was going to be in that grave three days later, okay? Um, on the next slide, you're going to see the seven different points of what we're going to look at. Now, keep in mind, this is underneath that umbrella of the security precautions, what was being done to keep Jesus there. Now, we know that when Jesus was arrested, we know that he went through literally almost within just a matter of hours, Jesus went through not one, but he went through six different trials in one night. Six trials. We know that he was taken before the the high priest, Anus. Uh, he was then taken to Caiaphas. Caiaphas then had Jesus taken before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had their time with Jesus. It didn't work the way they wanted. So they had Jesus taken to Pilate. And this is when Pilate comes into the narrative. Pilate, looking at Jesus, talking with Jesus, realizing Jesus hadn't done anything worthy of death, used an escape clause and had him sent to Herod. In other words, he saw the uproar that was really coming about from the arrest of Jesus, and he was a good politician. He just skirted the issue and had someone else deal with Jesus. So he was taken to Herod. Herod wanted Jesus to perform a miracle in front of him. He had heard all the rumors. And he didn't perform his miracle. In fact, the Bible says Jesus stood there and he remained silent. After a while, Herod just thought he was a nut. And then Herod said, take him back to Pilate. He's his problem. I'm not going to deal with him. So he goes back to Pilate. Now, as he goes back to Pilate... A number of things happened to Jesus, and every one of these are important to, uh, to remember. Number one, we know that the Bible says that Jesus received a Roman scourging. That is, when he is, he is whipped, um, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, um, it is the best movie that accurately portrays exactly the beating that Jesus took that happened in real life. There's, in fact, there's no other... Jesus of Nazareth movie that you're going to see that accurately comes close to what really happened to Jesus. If you haven't seen it, uh, you should, but you don't want to have children in the room when you look at it. It's very brutal. But you know why it's important? It's important to be reminded. This is for all of us. This is me. It is important that we remember the price he paid was all out. And that's what it took in order to get you and me to have a chance to go to this place called heaven. The price he paid, it cost him everything. So in that movie, it portrays it. Well, he was scourged. Uh, the whip would have at the end of, of, uh, of the threads uh, of leather, broken pieces of glass, uh, really sharp razor uh, pieces of, of rock. And the intention was as the, the condemned as being beaten, and every person that received a Roman scourging only received a certain number as it was um, appropriated his punishment. It might be five, it might be ten. Uh, the most you could get was 40. And Rome was so precise on its execution methods 
that the executioner, when he would be applying the blows on the back of the condemned with this, uh, this instrument, um, he could only go 40. If he went over 40, then he himself would be punished the same way. So they would always go to 39 in case they miscounted. Okay? The Bible says Jesus received 40 lashes. He received the fullness of it. The intention is as that whip comes down on the back, those pieces of broken rock, metal, glass, it would go into the skin, and as the person would yank back on it, also come with the uh, whip would just be fragments of skin. And after so many lashings, there's no skin left on the condemned, and now the whip is coming down on muscle and everything else. It was brutal. It was, it was extremely brutal. Jesus received the fullness of, of the lashing. In fact, Isaiah talks about the Messiah uh, 800 years before Jesus came to earth, and this is what Isaiah said. As Isaiah prophesied and said, he would be marred more than any person, which means Jesus, the Messiah, we know it's Jesus, the Messiah would undertake such a beating that no one in human history would be beaten as bad. And you know why that happened? It's because of your sin. Because of my sin it's because god really takes sin serious a, a lot more than we do and so jesus was beaten we know jesus was crucified we've seen that we know that the, the historical evidence there's no denying any of that he was uh he was to bear his own cross uh, uh, uh as he went to the hill on calvary where he was crucified now, the Bible says that after he was crucified, um, that a Roman soldier took a spear and because it started to get dark. In fact, the Bible says it got so dark, it was the darkest it's ever been ever. And when did it happen? Right at the time, right before Jesus died. Now, I've never heard a lot of messages as to why that happened. We can only kind of, you know, speculate um i think that i mean i know who god is god can see anything he's almighty he's omniscient but i believe the reason why it got so dark at that time is because god was just blotting out his son he couldn't he couldn't look at what jesus was actually doing the the full going all out giving his life and dying and he just blotted it out but we know that the whole world got dark and as it was building to this and it was obviously to the minds of those people who were there that day. It was getting dark. They had to quicken the death of the condemned. So here's Jesus and the two thieves on both sides of Jesus. So what do they do? They go up to these thieves um, and they break their legs. They take a club and literally they just shatter their knees. Because as they're hanging on that cross, what is keeping them on that cross is their ability to stand on just that little tiny platform that they have to push up. And they push up to breathe, and then they would just hang. But when your legs are broken, you're not pushing up on anything, and so you're going to die very quickly. You're going to suffocate. And so that's what they did because they noticed they were running out of time because it had to happen before dark. To the Jews, 
the, uh, if, you were, if you were Jewish, a body could not be left on a cross overnight. It would uh, bring about, in their minds, a curse. It was a, it, was a, a, it was a very bad thing. So the condemned had to die. So the Roman soldiers go up and they break the knees of the two thieves on both sides of Jesus. But when they come to Jesus, they already made the proclamation that Jesus is dead. So it wasn't enough that he was just dead. The Roman soldier got a spear, went up to Jesus, and he took that spear and he ran it up through Jesus' rib cage. And the Bible says that when he pulled out his spear, blood and water came flowing out. Now why did the soldier go up and stab Jesus in the side with the spear? Because why was he sent there to... Uh, carry out the, the condemnation and the execution of those three prisoners. It was his job. And if the condemned did not die, he himself would be crucified. He's going to make sure that his job was carried out. And it wasn't just his. It was a lot of people that were there at that time, except for the disciples, because they had already fled they were afraid. Why? Because they knew they were next. Why? Because they were his disciples. So every single one of them, they were gone. Now that's an important point to remember too for what we're going to look at here in just a second. The only one that stayed there was John. The only one. All the others were gone. All the ladies were there. Mary, Martha, the closest companions. They were faithful to the Lord, but everyone else was gone, except for the Pharisees. They were there to see that <clears throat> he was going to be killed, and he was killed. Um, Jesus was taken off the cross. He was placed in a tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, one of the leading Pharisees of that day, gave up. He offered up his own tomb uh, where he himself and his family would be buried when he died. He gave up his own tomb to Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus was buried in a known place. That's important to remember too. Jesus received a Jewish burial. What does a Jesus, uh, Jewish burial consist of? Well, basically it's kind of like what you see in Egypt. The body would be washed clean and then wrapped in wrappings uh, that would contain spices uh, and that sort of thing. Um, about the average weight of the body from the wrappings of the cloth, the bandages, and the, uh, the spices was anywhere between 80 and 100 pounds. And so Jesus received that as well. The Bible talks that a stone was rolled in front of the entrance. In fact, the Bible says in Mark it was an extremely large stone. You know, excavations today over in uh, Jerusalem, as they look at the tombs and stuff, the average weight of these stones that were rolled in front of the openings of the deceased vary from one to two and a half tons on just the stone alone. The Bible also says that Pilate sent security guards to guard the tomb. When you remember reading in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read how the Pharisees went to Pilate as Jesus was being crucified. There was another segment of the Pharisees going before Pilate. 
now asking Pilate to appoint, to send guards to guard the tomb for just three days. Why? Because Jesus kept saying how he was going to rise from the dead, and we don't believe it because he's just a false messiah, but here's what we do believe. His disciples are going to come and steal away his body, and we can't afford that to happen. Otherwise, everyone's going to believe that he rose from the dead. Well, their accusations were strong enough that Pilate decided to go along with it, and he sent uh, Roman soldiers. Now, the, uh, the number of soldiers that went would vary. We can read from every single thing that happened pertaining to the arrest and the beating and the crucifixion of Jesus that Pilate easily could have sent anywhere from 12 to 16 Roman soldiers alone to guard that tomb. Why? Because the ruckus and the uproar was so powerful on that day, Pilate could not afford for Caesar back in Rome to hear that there was another uproar amongst the Jews. So Pilate was doing every single thing he could to squash this, to keep them quiet, and to maintain peace. Now, how do you know it's 12, 16? Because we know from history, Roman history, that Roman soldiers, many a times, they would be grouped in fours, and they would all stand back to back, facing all four directions. And they were so trained in fighting that they were to cover six feet of fighting. So you would need four soldiers facing all four directions to fend off anything and everything coming up against them. And what they would do when they would post, they would be on post, they would be guarding doing the things that they were appointed to do, they would take shifts when they would sleep. Because to fall asleep while you're on duty, you would be burned alive. So they're not going to fall asleep. And what they would do, they would take turns uh, taking watch while the other groups of four would rest. And then they would get up and relieve the ones stationed and, and so on. Roman guards were sent to guard the tomb. And then last, we see in the Gospels that Pilate had ordered the signet ring of Rome to be put on that tomb. Now, that's a big deal, too, because any time there was a seal, the official seal of Rome placed on anything, that was just a screaming image of saying, back off if anyone broke a roman seal they were not only killed slowly crucified but their family was as well rome sent the message to break the seal of rome is to uh it's an attack upon caesar himself and so They got the message out. People didn't mess with it. And on the tomb of Jesus was the seal of Rome. Okay, in the next slide, you're going to read, I'm going to give you five different views. It's called the Occupy Theory. The Occupy Theory is that theory, or theories, because there's five of them, that are given that explains away the resurrection without the tomb itself having ever to be disturbed. Okay, so we've got a lot of information right now. What happened with Jesus during the trial, during the punishment, 
during the execution, the crucifixion. He is buried in a well-known tomb. And three days later, his body is gone. Now, now that his body is gone, how did it disappear? Where did it go? What are the arguments that are given today to try to explain away this is how the body uh, came up missing? The first theory is called the unknown tomb theory. The unknown tomb. Now, in Arlington, in the Arlington National Cemetery, um, we have the tomb of the unknown soldier, right? Well, in this case, it's the unknown grave. This is a view that is given that simply states that um, the, the disciples on the third day, they go to the tomb to pay respect, but they didn't know uh, where the tomb was at. So when they went to a tomb that was empty, then that explained this farce going around that Jesus was going to rise from the dead because the, the grave was empty. Well, unknown to them, they went to a wrong tomb. Well, where do you begin to show and point out the inaccuracies of that kind of a belief? The guards were guarding a wrong tomb too? Joseph of Arimathea forgot where his tomb was at? I mean, it's crazy for those that believe it was an unknown tomb. It was known, y'all, to everybody, everywhere, where this tomb was at. There's another theory that's given. It's very similar to the unknown tomb theory, and that's called the wrong tomb theory. Um, it advocates that when the w women returned on that Sunday morning uh, to honor Christ, they simply ran to the wrong tomb. They looked in. It was an empty tomb. Um, the disciples, when they got word from the women that he has risen, they must have got up. Well, it was Peter and John. We know that because they ran, and the Bible says, uh, what was Peter outran John? I always get that mixed up. John outran Peter? Whatever. It was one, one of them had a better track record. Well, he beats the other apostle to the tomb, and when, he, uh, oh, it was John. John was the one that ran the fastest, because when he ran to the tomb, the Bible says he looked in, he didn't go in. He bent over, and he was looking in, and Peter, when he got there, he just ran right on in, all right? Well, then not only did the women go to the wrong tomb, then Peter and and John must have run to the wrong tomb. And then you remember the angels who appeared uh, and told the, uh, the ladies, why do you seek the living from among the dead? Then the angels appear from within the wrong tomb. It gets really, really, really crazy and, and hard to believe. There's another theory that is given, and that's called, it's known as the, the legend theory. Now, the legend theory is that theory that states that the resurrection accounts of Jesus rising from the dead um, are legends. They, they grew over a long period of time. In other words, this is why it's important. Last week when we looked at the Bible, when were the, uh, the letters written that we know of in the New Testament? Well, we know it was in the mid-50s and 60s and 70s. If you were 
looking at any of, the, of Paul's epistles. We know the Gospel of Mark, which was the first of the four Gospels written, was written around A.D. 53. Jesus was crucified around the year 33 A.D. So it was about 20 years later when the first letter was written. Someone might say, well, why did they wait 20 years to write that? Why did Mark wait 20 years to, to write that first letter? Because they knew Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Why do we need to spend all this time writing? And remember, they didn't just run off to Walmart to grab their pen and paper. It was a real endurance to write. But after 20 years, realizing, you know what? What if the Lord's not coming back in our lifetime? We need to write down what we know. And that is why you begin to see at a very short amount of time after the event, just 20 years, what we now have as books of the New Testament as they became a reality. Now, this legend theory comes along and says, oh, you know, this story right here, yeah, this is what happened. It was a long time after. I mean, we're talking hundreds of years later. All this stuff was written about. There's, we can't go back and we can't check on the validity and the, and the facts. We can't check because it was written so long after the fact. Well, the truth of the matter is, the letters were written during the time where the majority of the witnesses who were there were still alive. They were still alive. Uh, the legend theory is completely debunked by everyone, secular or Christian, that uh, studies um, the writings of ancient letters. The fourth theory of the occupied uh, view is known as the spiritual resurrection theory. This is a weak theory, but it's one that people still bring up. Basically, the spiritual resurrection theory is just that. Oh, well, Jesus did come back from the grave, but it wasn't physical, it was spiritual. So, do y'all remember some years ago, it's been a little while back, I think, on this one. I don't remember his name. It's another one of those quacks that predicts Jesus is coming back. And he, it was his third time to make a prediction, and Jesus obviously did not come back, and it was only after that he came out and said, well, he did, but it was spiritually. We just didn't see him. Okay, that's kind of what this theory is right here. Now, there's only one problem with, with this. Jesus not only came back, but he appeared. At one time, he goes up to Thomas, and he tells Thomas to put his fingers in the holes in his hands and put his fist in the hole in his side and to know that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. There was another time when the disciples, they went back to their old trade. When Jesus died, they just, he's gone. We thought he was it, and he's not. So Peter and John, they're out fishing. Jesus is on the seashore, and he yells out to them as they're fishing, you know, throw your nets on the other side. They did. They started catching so much fish. The boat started to sink, which is a good problem if you're a fisherman. And then that only happened one time before, and that's when Jesus was, was with the disciples early on in, their, in the ministry. So John screamed, it's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat, starts swimming to the seashore, thinking he can out, you know, get there quicker than John in the boat. And remember, they pulled up on the seashore, and there is Jesus. And what does he have? He's cooking fish. And then he gives it to them, and they eat. It's not a spiritual resurrection. 
not spiritual at all. Um, the woman who took hold of his feet, Mary, grabbed his feet when she was at the tomb thinking he was the gardener because he was kind of disguising who he was when he appeared, when he went up to her and he asked her, why do you weep? And Mary said, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have taken him. And Jesus said, Mary. And it's the way that he said it. She recognized who he was. She grabbed a hold of his feet. And what, what did Jesus say? He said, Mary, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. In other words, later, I, well, I'll, we'll hug, but not right now. It's a lot more than just a spiritual. And then the last one, which is the weakest one of all, well, they're all weak, but it's the explanations people give, is the hallucination theory. Um, clearly, everyone has just gotten back from Colorado where pot was legal because they're all on the same drug, seeing the same thing everywhere all the time. You know, even the Apostle Paul stated in the letter of Corinth that there are over 500 witnesses still alive that can validate they saw Jesus. 500 at one setting... Jesus showed up. He also showed up to every one of the disciples. He showed up to Thomas and went straight to Thomas uh, to show Thomas that he was alive. Why? Because when the disciples, one by one, was seeing, were seeing Jesus, after the lady saw him first, and that's important too, I'll tell you why in a minute, that when all of a sudden all the disciples are together, Thomas wasn't with them, they all go and they tell Thomas what had happened. And Thomas said, you're crazy. Unless I see him and I put my finger in the holes in his hand or put my finger in the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. That's what Thomas said. And you have to appreciate Thomas because I can guarantee you more than half of everybody in this room would feel the same way as Thomas. Now, that's just crazy. That can't just happen. Well, when Jesus finally showed up, which was about a week after he had showed up to the disciples, they're all in one room, and in this setting, Thomas is seated with them. The Bible says Jesus showed up in their midst going through a wall. Now, come on, that is really cool when you think about that. Jesus could have knocked on the door. He could have just walked on in, but there's no need. He's just going to go right through the wall. And the Bible says that he went straight to who? Thomas. You know what's interesting? When Thomas had that talk with the disciples, I'm not going to believe he's alive unless I see him and I do this and this and this. Jesus heard it. Jesus knew it. It kind of gets us to thinking that maybe when we say things, Jesus is listening too, doesn't it? And Jesus is aware of what we say which is another message on another time, or uh, uh-oh, better remember that. So he goes up to Thomas, and Thomas doesn't even do it. He doesn't have to. The Bible says he falls on the ground, and he shouts, my Lord and my God. Now, <clears throat> the next screen that you're going to see is what is called the natural theories. These are theories that are given 
that explains away the disappearance of Christ's body from the grave. Number one, there is the view that his body was stolen by the disciples. The disciples came in and stole his body. Well, basically, the guards were bribed, um, all 16 of them. Remember at the crucifixion scene, every single disciple except for one left. Why? Because they were afraid. They were going to be next. So all of a sudden, now that he's dead, they become brave. And they go in, fishermen, untrained fighters going in against a group of 12 or 16 roman soldiers they're going to bribe them no not going to bribe them Um, they fought them off no i don't think that happened either or the guards were asleep and they tiptoed in i don't think that happened either because one that's an impossibility number two there was a very large stone in front of the entrance for them to roll away so it's not like they could tiptoe uh there's the another view given it's a naturalistic view and it's not uh not only uh if you don't believe that the disciples stole his body um but that it was moved by the authorities now that's just insane because the quickest way to put to rest uh, jesus is really dead is here here's the body so all of a sudden this the circulating story of Jesus rising from the grave is just is, it's dead before it even gets started. Um, and then three, another theory is known as what's, well, it's commonly known as the resurrection theory or the swoon theory. Now, this theory is a theory that says basically he just fainted, was near death, but when his body was placed in the tomb, after three days, he came back to life. All right? So here's what happened. He goes through six court hearings, six trials. He was beaten beyond recognition. The scourging alone should have killed him, but didn't. He hung on a cross for six hours until he died. Knowing and thinking he was dead when the executioner went to him, uh, wanted to double check because his neck is on the line. So he, is st- he grabs his spear, takes it through Jesus' rib cage, blood and water flowed out. Uh, executioners saw him die. All the people that were there saw him die. Um, a large a group of Roman soldiers were stationed outside of the tomb. The signet ring of Rome is placed on the entrance to the tomb, And after three days, the cool, damp air just woke Jesus up because he was almost dead. That's next. That's just stupid. It didn't happen. It's a weak, weak theory. There's another one, which is basically called the Passover plot. The Passover plot is simply this. Jesus was going to tell this story that he was going to rise from the dead Basically, it was acted out and it went to perfection until one thing happened. He was going to fake his death, be buried, rise from the dead, and show, to show himself as the Lord of life. And it worked really good until a Roman soldier went and took his spear and stabbed him and killed him. So those who are part of this scheme found someone else who looked like Jesus 
And then he appeared as the Lord. It's just weak. It, but it's all they got. It, it's all they got. But it's called the Passover plot. Now, let's look at the next slide. Let's talk about, as we wrap this up, the evidence of a missing body. Next slide. We see a broken Roman seal. There's an empty tomb. How did that tomb become empty, y'all? If you're here today, and you're a person, and you just want to see facts, I ask you, where did the body go? Who took the body? Now, intellectually speaking, how did they get that body out of there? What would be your answer? There's a large stone was removed. The Roman guards go AWOL. Did you notice that when Jesus uh, rose in the gospel of, I believe it's Matthew, there was a bright light and they fled. When they fled, where did they run? They didn't go to Pilate. Why? Because now they're all going to be killed. They went to the Pharisees. And they told the Pharisees what had happened. The Pharisees told them, you will tell Pilate this is what happened. And they were bribed. They were given money. But they were not only given money, they were given the assurance that they would see to it that their lives would not be taken when Pilate finds out that they, uh, they didn't fulfill their, their duty in guarding the tomb. They basically were saying, we'll take care of that, you will live, but in return, you're going to say that the disciples stole his body. As, who's going to believe that? The grave clothes tell a tale. The Bible says when they went in and looked in one of the narratives, there's the outline of a body, no body, but the head wrapping was, uh, was rolled up aside, sitting, sitting away from the slab where the body of Jesus was. His appearances are confirmed. He appeared to all of the disciples. He appeared to the women. Oh, and why is it a big deal that the women saw him first? Remember, this is New Testament. It's not today's day and age. Women carried no authority on anything, no matter what they had to say. Nobody would listen. They didn't have any value either at all in that day and age, that society. So the fact that women saw him first, why is that important? Because if you're going to promote this belief that Jesus rose from the dead, you're not going to have women as your primary, your first source of, hey, we saw him. They're not going to be the first ones. Why? Because in that day and age, no matter what they said, it wasn't believed anyway. So it's even furthers the narrative. If they're going to be the ones that get up and say, we saw him first, no, you want the men to do that because that's going to capture everyone's curiosity. Why? Because men were speaking. We don't listen to those women. That was then, remember, not now. Let me really make that clear. But the women saw him first. You know why the women saw him first? Because they were the most faithful. Just to put a plug in for the girls. Let's look at circumstantial evidence. The circumstantial evidence, and then you can go to the next slide. Right after the resurrection of Christ, what happened? The birth of the church. The church didn't exist until after the resurrection. It was never there. Why? Because there was no church. The church was Jesus' idea while he was still alive. 
How about the circumstantial evidence of Sunday worship? Here's something. The Jews who were converted, the many who were converted, they literally changed their day of Sabbath, which was Saturday. They moved that day, that holy day to the Jews. They moved their day of Sabbath on Saturday to Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was such a powerful, life-changing moment that a large, large group of people literally changed their holy Sabbath day to correspond to the day that Jesus rose. That's how powerful, believable, and factual that that event really was. So the day changed. We see baptism and communion and the changed lives um, as other signs of circumstantial evidence because these are the things that Jesus promoted while he was still alive that would continue um, after he is gone. So if the resurrection of Christ is false, that's the next slide. If Christ was not raised, Paul said, our preaching is hollow, our faith is vain, we are liars, we are lost in our sins, dead believers have perished because there is no hope, and we are all most pathetic. That's what Paul was saying in that 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. But the conclusion is the truth of what we know. Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from that grave. Jesus right now is interceding on our behalf. Do you know that by the time you go to bed tonight, I don't know how this works. I don't know how this plays out. We'll see it one day. Did you know that by the time you go to bed tonight, Jesus has prayed for you? That's what blows me away. That is crazy. Um, there's a lot going on, but he's interceding. The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of God. You know what that literally means? He alone has the power and possesses all power to rule and execute judgment. Why? Because he's God. Jesus rose from the dead because he proved and he demonstrated exactly who he was. And no argument and no theory has ever been given uh, or ever will be given where it will make sense as to why, oh, that makes sense. Now, that, that's believable right there. That would make you not believe that Jesus didn't rise from the grave. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. It happened. In a court of law, the many things that we've said, and so many more I didn't because we need to get out of here, uh, that could have been brought up would stand in a court of law. But you know something? Knowing all the facts, you still have to receive it by faith. You can know and know and know all about Jesus, but not know him. The Bible says that we believe in who he is we believe in what he did and if we believe that he has the ability and the power and most of all the position and the right to forgive us of our sins that he will 
if we will commit our lives in following him. Him alone, nothing else. Our good works don't get us to heaven. Going for the big dunk doesn't get us into heaven. Reading the Bible doesn't get us to heaven. Uh, All those things, none of those things, nothing, none of that works. What gets a person to heaven? It's a relationship that we have with Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning before we pray. At what point in your life did you make that profession of faith in Jesus your faith? When did you do that? Are you writing the coattails of what your mom and dad told you to believe? When did you make it yours? When did you come to that understanding in your life that as you read what the Bible has to say about Jesus, I believe this. Or maybe you could say, I didn't understand it. You might be here today saying, I understand it now. You still reach out by faith. God did all the work to get us there. Our job is to respond to Him. And so this morning, if you're here, And if you don't know, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I am here to tell you right now, finding that relationship with Jesus is easy. But living the life of a Christian believer, that's when it gets tough. But praise God, we've got someone there who is interceding for us, who is always with us. Lo, I'm with you always, as the Bible says. And we have the guarantee of the promise that he's going to get us through all these times that we go through because he is with us. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to implore you to find someone today before you leave who can sit down with you. They will just simply pray with you and they will lead you into how you can know You have that relationship. And listen, when you walk out of here today, you'll have that relationship. Your eternity will be changed forever. Forever. And you will live forever and ever. And that's kind of a a pretty cool thing to think about. And most of all, we're going to be with Jesus. You're going to get to see Jesus. And you're going to get to hug on Jesus. And you're going to get to tell him all that he did for you and all that he made possible in order for you to go and be where he's at in his father's house. So the resurrection of Christ is factual, but you still need to reach out by faith and accept it and make it your own. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you right now, Jesus, we just want to thank you for the day that we have, have had where we can really look at so much information that surrounds um, what you went through. And God, as we broke, broke down all these things that made up all that we know that happened, God, I just can't help but wonder if there's anyone out here and they don't know, they, they don't know that the Christian faith and just how uh, factual there is, the details, the eyewitness accounts, God, that for all of those who, who have been struggling and they don't know, and how, well, what does it mean? And Well, Lord, today they, they've heard a lot of that. God, I know there's many of us in this room that we've got friends and family members, and they just reject Jesus altogether. Well, God, they can know this stuff. God, maybe if we will just take a look at a lot of this stuff and sit down and, 
and just have a lunch with them and say, let's talk about some of this stuff. God, right now, I just pray and ask that if there's anyone here today and they're struggling in this thing called faith and who you are and what you did, that that can be settled today. Lord, I want to pray, too, that for all the believers that are in this room, God, that they would be strengthened in what they believe. And just the, the, uh, the absolute knowing what happened and how it is verified and it is true. God, that uh, it can just only grow and strengthen this faith that we do have in you. I pray, God, that you would help and remind all of us here today to do what we can to bring a, a lot of these friends and family that uh, may not go to church as much uh, with us next week so that they can have a chance to hear uh, about your resurrection and what you did on that Easter morning. I pray, God, today that you will just be with us and that you would walk with us and help us, God, to know the resurrection power that is there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.